Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. How has your, your last little bit been going? Oh, well, it's been a, I, I realized we haven't done an intro in a couple of weeks because we pre-recorded a lot uh, ahead of when we were going to be down in Maryland for NICA's first Eastern Regional Mountain Bike Championship. So hundreds of high school athletes from all over the East Coast hanging out, racing, having a lot of fun. And I got to do a lot of stuff with Strong Girl Publishing. Got to talk to a lot of girls, uh, you know, sell a lot of Shred Girls books and generally just get to hang out with some some awesome people. So yeah, really just like feeling still a little like high off of that. It was just so much fun and so cool to see the sort of next generation of cyclists coming up. Sure. And it was a massive event. It was very big. I mean, I think it rivaled the Mount St. Anne World Cup in terms of Honestly. expo space. And uh, like, let me tell you, at 830 in the morning, so the girls raced first, right? They raced at 830 on Saturday morning. It was freezing cold. And I was very nervous. I was thinking, you know, oh, this is going to suck. No one's going to be out to cheer for these poor girls. They're going to be, you know, doing that like shivering on a start line. We've all been to those national championships. Like, let's be honest, you know, the first master's race of the day at like 8 a.m. It's just crickets on the sidelines. Sure. But this was, I cried at the start because everyone like all the older girls, all the boys, all the parents, all the coaches, the sidelines were Honestly, World Cup level, the amount of people that were there to cheer on like the ninth and 10th grade girls starting. Yeah, it was a great. So this is the first time they ran this Eastern Championships? Eastern Regional Championships, yeah. Okay. So yeah, very exciting. Super glad to have gotten to be part of that. So yeah, all exciting things and very confidence boosting for the future of the sport, I would say. And actually, I got to do a talk about... Uh, how to deal with fear, whether it's on the start line in the race or just, you know, when you're tackling a new section of trail that really gets you nervous. And I actually relied a lot on stuff that we talk about today with today's guest, Pat Spencer. Uh, So Pat is a social worker, a therapist. Uh, She has a private practice in central New Jersey. So we actually, uh, you know, have ridden a lot of the same roads, run a lot of the same trails, and actually have a lot of the same triathlon background, including our first triathlon was the same triathlon. So I love Pat. She's one of my favorite humans and honestly so good at speaking to the sports psych and the mental performance while also being pretty clear that, you know, sports psych is just not a substitute for actual therapy. Running is not a substitute for therapy. Uh, so I think it's it's such a great conversation. And we sort of start with the the cheesy, how do you deal with start line jitters? And we really go deep from there. Well, and I know I can always tell when you're excited for interviews because we've mentioned Pat, this interview with Pat now, I think, in, I in maybe three I've or four different this. previous podcasts, uh, which is not sometimes it's hard because you can't link to it because true. the podcast doesn't exist. So we'll we'll solve that today. Uh, but that's definitely exciting. And uh, I had two thoughts. I had a did you know that New Jersey has 600 of the remaining 2000 diners in the United States of America? You are so excited. So about there's this. a New Jersey fact for you and Pat? Yes, and uh, between me and my sister, we have worked at about 2% of them over the years. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then I had another fact, and now I'm forgetting it. 
Was it about diners? Is it no. how diners got their name? <laughs> we'll link to the how, how stuff works or oh, stuff no. you should know. So this, uh, this was towards therapy, uh, which is not related to diners or necessarily to New Jersey. Uh, but yeah, it's funny. I was telling you, I was trying to write an article and it's about getting ready for spring classics in the Canadian winter, which is, you know, really right up my alley. And I've been having trouble with it. And one of the reasons is that for some reason, my brain wants to write, like, you should go to therapy. It's the off season. Like, I know this is hard. Uh, so maybe Pat can help with this, this heavy lift today. And maybe, maybe with my article, I don't know. Yeah. Grab some quotes, <laughs> uh, please. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, just such a great conversation. I think everyone's going to get a lot out of it. Um, whether or not you think you need sports psych or therapy, there's so many great takeaways in this episode. And before we get into it, uh, just quick break to talk about our longtime sponsor now, AG1. So AG1, formerly known as Athletic Greens, for anyone who's been listening for a while, you know we've been super into this this supplement. It's NSF certified, and it sort of has everything you need. So it started as sort of more of greens, but now it is vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and of course your greens. And honestly, I think it tastes great. I'm so excited. We finally got this little whiskey thing for it, and it has made a world of difference to the consistency. I'm actually going to write an article for Consummate Athlete about how the little whiskey thing, like the little, what is it called? A frother, maybe? Frother. There yeah. we go. Honestly, for even like whey protein and stuff. Have you tried it with whey? I did. Because I was wondering that because it definitely makes mixing much better, so much, much better. easier. Yeah. Like I cannot believe the difference it makes. So I'm like, very adverse to any sort of new things that clutter the kitchen or like add to space requirements. But you started so. using this too. Yeah, I use it every morning. It's really good. I mean, I, I do like the shaker too, but I mean, when you're at home, you don't necessarily want to use like a plastic shaker bottle. So this is nice. You can have it in a nice glass and it's foamed up. Yeah, you feel very fancy. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we are hitting that time of year where supporting your immune system becomes more and more important. We're both coming off a bad cold, so very glad to be trying to get my immune system back up to snuff after uh, you know a lot of weeks on the road. And especially when we're traveling, the travel packs are just so useful to have on hand. Uh, and to make it easy, AG1 gives you five free travel packs when you use our code, which is drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. You also get a year's supply of free immune-supporting vitamin D, which it comes in little droplets. I think it's fantastic. I think it tastes great, which is a weird thing to say about droplets, but there you go. Uh, and all you need to do is head to drinkag1.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health today. All right, let's get into this episode with Pat Spencer. Enjoy. All right, Pat Spencer, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is going to be awesome. It really is. I'm I'm so jazzed. We've talked about so many, you know, varied topics over the year that I've known you. And I, you know, the more I realize as I like keep bothering you for, you know, stuff about sports psych and how we think on the bike, I'm like, we have to have you on here because we all struggle with all of these things. So... Let's start with just like a quick who you are. So I want to hear the professional background, but also the sporty side too. Let's get the the okay. whole the whole mix. Right. Okay. So the, like the whole Spice Girls of me. My exactly, side, exactly. My the sport sporty side. Spice. The... Right. So the professional <laughs> Spice, the, the professional side of me is uh, I am a licensed clinical social worker in LCSW. Um, and that means I am a therapist. Actually, um, I was gonna say it's such a weird thing. And can we maybe do like a quick sidebar of like how how is that a thing? Because that's something I just realized like a year ago that a licensed clinical social worker is a therapist, right? 
And what's what the I deal? Is can be a therapist. So, uh, you know, not if we want to really do a social work podcast, I oh, can dive yeah. all into all the licensing rules and regulations. Um, but each and every state has slightly different licensing. In New Jersey, I'm in LCSW. I also just got licensed in Massachusetts where I am an L-I-C-S-W, I think. Oh boy. Right. So all those, what it means is that the CSW means I'm a clinical social worker, uh, which means I have a clinical background. So kind of like how psychologists have, you know, an understanding of the mental side of life. I have an understanding of the mental side of life. Um, I've worked in a lot of different programs and everything in my social work career. I've been a social worker for, oh my God, 26 years, I think. So a very long time. Ooh, yeah. Uh, but currently I have two jobs or two businesses actually mm -hmm. that I own. Uh, one business is I am a private practice therapist where I own my own private practice where I do therapy with your traditional therapy clients. You know, people coming in with some depression, some anxiety. I specialize in trauma and I specialize in LGBTQ population. So a, a lot of that uh, quite literally sits on my couch. Um, my other job, my other business that I own, which is kind of why I'm on this today, is it's called Getting Your Mind in Gear. And in that, I have combined my love of all things mental. I, I love the mental side of life because it really does impact us across the board. So I'm combining that love and that knowledge with my love and my knowledge of endurance sports because uh, I'm also an endurance athlete. Uh, I'm an avid gravel cyclist. Um, you know, in the summertime, you can find me out on the dirt roads. Uh, we don't have a lot of dirt roads in New Jersey, but you'll find me on the New Jersey dirt roads that we do have. Uh, and you'll find me doing races throughout the country, you know, whether it be Colorado, Kansas, next year I'm doing Idaho, Vermont, South Carolina. I just love being out there. Love it. Love it. And you and I both started as triathletes, if I remember correctly. That is correct. So my endurance career, if you will, um, started doing sprint triathlons and moved on up to iron distance and long course races. Uh, and I, I, I stopped doing those in 2016. Uh, from like 2016 to about 2019, I was kind of lost. I'm not sure what I wanted to do. Uh, so I, instead I, I lifted weights, uh, lifted, he lifted heavy shit as uh, Stacy Stacy Sims would say, you know, it's funny. We have said that probably the last three podcasts that has come okay. up. So I'm glad we snuck that in. Yeah. Take yeah. I, I got right in there. I didn't even know I was supposed to, but there it is. I'm going to lift heavy shit. Um, and then about 2019, I got a gravel bike and just fell in love. Um, and so last year in 2022 is when I started my getting your mind in gear. And because what I do know about being an endurance athlete is that a lot of it is physical, but quite honestly, most of it is mental, mm -hmm. um, you know, because we are dealing with the mental um, from race day jitters at the very start to the self-doubt that kicks in somewhere in the middle to the elation that then kicks in at some point back to self-doubt and then elation again at the finish. <laughs> It's this little like wave that we have. Yep. Yep. And don't forget the crash after the elation at the finish when you're like, right. oh no, my goal is done. What do I do with my life now? Exactly. And how our identity gets wrapped up into it and everything. Exactly. And so that's why I started this because I want to be able to combine those two things. Because what I also saw in a lot of Facebook groups, especially with women, was a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-doubt, a lot mm -hmm. of well, what do I do if I don't feel like I'm a strong enough athlete? What mm -hmm. do I do if um, I don't 
you know, what, what do I do with the nerves that I feel at the beginning? Mm-hmm. And especially with the athletes, uh, kind of in my age group, I, I'm in my fifties at this point, but we're talking like late thirties, forties, fifties. We see a lot of women that are just getting into it and mm-hmm. don't have the, the water under the bridge of dealing with that internal dialogue and the self-doubt and also doing something new. So I want to create yeah. a space where we can explore all that. And I want, I want women out there conquering the roads, whether it be on foot, on bike, conquering the roads in a pool. I know you're not conquering a road, but you get the point. I love it. Conquering the lane, taking yes. the lane, if you will. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, what's the, I'm curious, what does like the Venn diagram between sort of more standard therapy type stuff that you do versus the getting your mind in gear stuff? Because I feel like there, there are these really interesting overlaps between kind of regular therapy and what you're learning there. Mm-hmm. And then the the mechanisms you're learning within more of that like sports psych, you know, sports mental game stuff. Um, right. I feel like there's a really interesting overlap. There so, yeah. is an overlap. And I, I try very hard to um, stay in my lane when yeah. I'm, <laughs> with whatever hat I'm wearing that day. Or so whatever no, no mommy hand. issues when we're talking about race day jitters. Right. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what I will jokingly say is that when I'm doing the mental coaching, I recognize you have a childhood, but we're not going to talk about the childhood. Um, but that, that's a bit of an overstatement because we will, when I'm doing the mental coaching, I want to know what successes have you had? Because mm-hmm. confidence comes from previous success and also previous challenges. Um, but what I'm not doing is I'm not processing the, the deep trauma that's occurred. Um, mm-hmm. In the mental coaching, I'm a bit more direct, whereas in therapy, my style is a bit more or a lot more actually broad. Mm-hmm. Whereas for therapy, a, patient, a client will come in and we'll talk about whatever it is that's going on that week with mental coaching. It's kind of like, okay, these are the skills we learned last week. How did they go? How do, how are you able to apply them? What went with that? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is an overlap, but I am also pretty good at keeping the two separate. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really enjoy like the sports psych and mental performance stuff for sport, because I think of it as almost like the, the gateway drug to traditional therapy, because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, are really intimidated by the idea of like straight up therapy. Yes. But completely understand the like, oh, like it would be good to talk to someone to improve my my finishing time in the Ironman. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I find that just like utterly like fascinating to me, which is just like, yeah, very. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Right. Um, and, and again, the sports like skills you can take to real life. Yeah. You know, if, I, if we're working on how to deal with that negative belief that comes up when you're on the bike, well, I, most of us, if we have a negative belief on the bike, we also have a negative belief when we go to the grocery store or something. Yeah, and we yeah. can take the same skills and, you know, apply them across the board. Yes, exactly. I mean, how many times do we hear about sport being used as a metaphor for life? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're like me where you listen to business podcasts and it's like the most infuriating thing when they're like, hang on, let me see quit this business thing with like running a marathon. And you're like, but I know how to do that. Could you please right. talk to me about the profit and loss statement? Exactly. <laughs> And I've decided no more marathons for me. So yeah, exactly. Like I'm over that phase of my yeah. life. <laughs> um, okay. Let's, let's dive in to the actual, how to deal with this stuff. And we're going to start with the most cliche traditional way we could start with mental performance with pre-race jitters. This is perfect because I have my last race of the season on Saturday morning. Okay. Um, what do we know about what works and what doesn't? Maybe we start with what doesn't. 
What's a okay. bad way to approach a race okay. day? So let me just back up one more step and just say every single athlete out there has race day jitters. Every single one has those nerves before the race. One of my favorite things to do is watch YouTube videos um, and I'll watch Ironman videos. And if you watch the swim start, like the, the few months when they have all the athletes and there's every single person has those deer in the headlight looks in their eyes because mm -hmm. every single person has race day nerves. And so they are normal. And um, I think that's what we want to first just to capitalize on is recognizing that they're normal. Because what we don't want to do is push them aside. We don't want to try to ignore them um, because quite honestly, we can't ignore them. We don't want to badmouth them, you know. Um, oh my God, I gotta get rid of these race day jitters. Right. No, you don't have to get rid of them. We do have to recognize them. We might have to harness them, but we don't want to, to squash them necessarily. Mm -hmm. Where we do get concerned is when the race day jitters turn to anxiety, because it is a thin line between the two. Um, okay. Talk to me and, about what the what the demarcation point is there. Right. The demarcation point is primarily the thoughts and then how out of control those thoughts get. So anxiety and race day nerves or race day jitters, whatever you want to call it, or performance jitters. You know, I also get it before I do presentations or trainings. Um, Anxiety and those those nerves often feel the same. They feel the same in our body. Um, they feel it's oftentimes it's a faster heart rate. Sometimes it's like butterflies in your belly. Uh, it might be a little bit of clenched shoulders. Um, might be a clenched jaw. Uh, for me, I get irritable. Um, like if before the race, my wife asked me something, I'm like, no, you know, I'm kind of short with her. Um, even though what she's saying is, do you want this bottle of water? Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> um, so it feels the same, the jitters and the, cause anxiety feels the same. The race day jitters usually stop as soon as we start. Mm -hmm. So as soon as the, the, the gun goes off, we are in performance mode. Mm-hmm. And the race day jitters tend to go away at that point, um, or at least dissipate greatly. Because mm -hmm. usually the race day jitters are just, am I ready? Yep. Am I am I good to go? Whereas anxiety yep. might spin to, what if I get a flat? What if uh, my bottle drops? What if I trip? What if I fall? All those what ifs. Mm -hmm. That's the anxiety. So I try to rein it in when that happens and get to just what's happening now. Mm -hmm. um and so the how to deal with the anxiety or the, i'm sorry the the jitters or the nerves it actually starts before the race um and something i i call three p two r the three p's are um plan prepare perform recover and review right um so the two first p's are where we want to focus that help us deal with the race day nerves it's the planning and the um preparing so it's the thinking through in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead through your training and then gathering what you need is the preparing. And if you can check those two things off, well, what if I get a flat? Yeah, I've got my stands darts. I'm good to go. I can plug that flat. You know, um, am I prepared? Yeah, I've trained, at, you know, I, I've done every, I've done 80% of my workouts. I'm good to go. Um, so it's looking back and saying, are we actually ready? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. As we're talking about race day jitters, I swear my stomach is like in knots. <laughs> this is 
very embarrassing. <laughs> right. But the race day jitters are also physically getting us ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where it's a little difficult as an endurance athlete. Like I-, I love going to football games. I love college football. And before every game, the music's blaring, the players are out there swaying back and forth and jumping and hitting each other and getting all that physical energy out. They're moving. Mm-hmm. as endurance athletes we don't want to use that energy because i'm going to need right. that energy in six hours totally yeah you know so we have the music blaring, but we're just sitting there with our bikes like okay <laughs> maybe i'll sway just a little bit <laughs> a little um, bit of nodding the head yeah yeah <laughs> um because we have all of this energy that needs to get out and that's what happens once the gun goes off yep yep um, so again the race day jitters are getting us ready they're telling us and it's the story we're telling us it, the race day jitters are telling us this is important to me. Mm-hmm. I want to do well. I'm going to do well. Um, you know, it, it's that story is what we want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Now here, like I found this was, I guess I have two sides here. First is, do you find this is like more of a thing for triathletes? Because I feel like for us, those of us who did triathlon have worse race day jitters because when you start with the swim, you are mm-hmm. actually putting yourself in a place where you could physically die. Like, like it's actually not that out of like context, mm-hmm. right? Like you're about to jump in the water and get like kicked by a bunch of people. That's terrifying. Versus yeah. like starting a gravel race or like a marathon, you're just moving forward on land mm-hmm. um, so I feel like because I started in triathlon my pre-race nerves are so much higher than people who started on land sports mm-hmm. <laughs> thoughts um yes I also think that it d- depends on the athlete's comfort with swimming yeah, I have at least I used to be a very strong swimmer um so the swim was my my favorite part but the race day jitters I felt were more of okay, I want to find a good line. Um, how do I, I, I also, as you can see on Zoom, I wear glasses. So with goggles, until I got prescription goggles, I couldn't see the buoys. <laughs> I would pick my head up. I'm like, well, the other swimmers are going in this direction. I'm going to keep going in that direction. Um, and I'm not blind, but I can't see, you know, 25, 50 yards, at least clearly. Um, so for me, that was a little bit of, am I going to see things? Mm-hmm. Um, but also with Ironman or triathlon, actually, triathlon's three sports. We have three things to be worried about. It's do I, am I ready for the swim? Yeah. And then this is where we, this is where it turns to anxieties and we start to jump ahead. I'm not even in the water and I'm already thinking about transition one and being on the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm really anxious, I'm also thinking about the run at the same time. Whereas in gravel and in ultra running and in running 5Ks, whatever it happens to be, we're focused just on that sport. Yep. Yep. And also not being like the meme of the person like falling off the bike in transition. Right. Also a pretty key thing. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then I also, I, I have no science to back me up. I just have what I've seen and heard from other people is that when we're doing triathlons, we tend to be more i'm gonna say high strung i don't quite think that's the right word but it it tends to be a bit more anxious more more anxiety in there Uh, Mm -hmm. and again i think it's because of the three sports not the one um and then also a lot of people put an awful lot of time money and energy because you gotta think about just money wise oh my gosh triathlon i'm buying you know a wetsuit you know we're buying a, a bike 
or buying at bike least shoes, one a bike. helmet. Oh, at least one bike. Yeah, I'm, I'm being kind and saying a bike. Yeah. Um, you know, and running shoes. Whereas if you're doing just bike riding, it's just the bike stuff that you're financially putting towards it. So there's mm -hmm. a lot more stress and pressure coming from behind, if that makes any type of sense. Yeah, yeah. You feel like there's there's more to, like, you need to make it worth the spend for sure. And I think that's how any of us feel about, you know, going to a race that's like, you know, that's a plane ride away or that, mm -hmm. you know, just you've put a lot of time into even like time yep. and money. Yep. You know, you feel this, like, if you don't make that race go the way you want it to, it, it wasn't worth it, which we all know is not the case. It's still right. way obviously worth it, but in your head, I think that's part of the, the pre-race nerves for sure. Right. right. And that's why also the pre-race stuff, especially with triathlon, but also anything else, it's, it's that planning and preparing. Mm -hmm. It's how do you either literally have a checklist or, you know, a mental checklist of what do I need? How do you make sure you have it all? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I yeah. heard somebody once say that they take pictures of their stuff. So once they pack it up and bring it to transition, they can still look and go, okay, yeah, my body glide is in there. Um, that is genius. Right. Oh my gosh. Like, that was like mind blowing, you know? So you put your stuff out, take a picture, put it in the bag. Therefore I can go back. Cause my, my thing is I'll pack stuff up and then go, do I have my socks mm -hmm. and then unpack everything? Oh yeah, I do. Now repack everything. This is like, my mind just got blown. This is brilliant. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. And then the other scenario I wanted to like add on is I've done a couple of races recently where the race starts way later in the day. And this is like the case for, if you're like a pro cyclocross racer, your race is like two or 3 PM. I've done mm -hmm. like the worst races I've ever had have been 11 or 12 AM or 11 or 12 PM starts because mm -hmm. you have so much time beforehand to have that like adrenaline is up and mm -hmm. you don't really know what to do with yourself so any thoughts on like what to do pre-race start whether you have like an hour or like six hours <laughs> yeah so there's so much that goes into that um you know just number one fueling yeah <laughs> for a race that starts at 6 a.m i might fuel a little bit differently for that same race if it started at 9 a.m mm -hmm. because i'm probably still waking up at 4 a.m just because that's who i am yeah um but it's like how do we first fuel correctly because if we're not fueled correctly we are not going to perform well physically or mentally people have no idea how much our food and our drink impacts our mental functioning um so if a race is starting later in the day one thing i'll talk with athletes about is what time are you actually waking up um, how would you fuel if you were starting at 6 a.m.? Now, how do we translate that to starting at 11 a.m.? Do we need to add more? Do we need to simply wake up later and shift the food later? Um, and then we're going to talk about what are the things you can do? Because um, we have all that energy, but we don't necessarily want to expend it. Exactly. <laughs> so it will be things like hanging out in your hotel room, if that's where you're staying, or in your van, or you know, basically staying off your feet, mm -hmm. um, possibly doing, um, some visualization. Uh, so therefore you're keeping yourself engaged, but, you know, picturing, okay, let's just picture the start. You know, typically I'd have a person go to the start line the day before and maybe walk the first hundred, 200 yards so they can picture what this will look like. So let's just do the visualization so we can get through it. And I also find that helps calm people down because they're actually doing something productive. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, and then figuring out, okay, when do you need to go? When, you know, what, for me, I, my wife and I jokingly always say that we try to win parking. I'm not going to win the race, oh. but I'm going to win parking. Yeah, same you're, you're So we'll be the two in co competition for that best yeah. parking spot because I hate being late. And so for me, I like to get to the race site early and maybe I'll take a nap in my car if the race starts a little bit later. Love it. Love it. But so some of this is specific to the athletes. Some athletes are like, no, the race starts at, at nine. I roll in at 8.55 and, and go. go. If that works for them, that's what we'll work with. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of more like me and you want to get there early, it's how do you get there early? Can you stay off your feet? Can you, you know, maybe do a few warm ups? Can you visualize? So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And ticking off the things that are going to stress you out, like the finding parking. Because if you're home at your hotel, you're going to be thinking about getting there and like, oh, geez, the parking spaces yep. are going to be gone. Oh, no. <laughs> yep, exactly. Because I don't want to waste any energy. You know, and anxiety is energy. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, did we cover all of your your P's and your R's there? I don't think so. So the the first P was plan. Yep. So the the planning is kind of making your list. Uh, the preparing is gathering your materials. So the planning can be, okay, what's the weather? I mean, uh, so it's going to be hot. So I know I'll need a short sleeve jer jersey. So now preparing is getting that short sleeve jersey. Um, and then not to parse it out too much, but I I, I plan and prepare for like kit, nutrition, um, like body, what do I need and logistics? Um, mm -hmm. You know, so the planning is just the thinking, the preparing is the gathering. Performing, that's kind of obvious. It's performing. It's getting out there. It's taking that first pedal stroke. It's taking that first step. Um, but then the performing is also making adjustments as needed because mm -hmm. no race, literally no race will go exactly as planned. You know, you can have the best laid plans. And if you watch the Ironman, uh, world championships this past weekend for the women, like Taylor Nibbs nutrition fell off her bike like three times. So, you know, it did not go as planned for her. So she had to, you know, figure things out on the fly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the R happens after the race. So the first one is recover. Uh, so that's, you know, the best one It is my favorite one. Uh, it's getting off your feet. It's, you know, uh, rehydrating. It's refueling. It's having that celebratory, you know, meal, whatever it is. Maybe it's a massage. Maybe it's not. It's whatever you need to recover. Mm -hmm. And then there is review. And, and review this is, is like the most often like missed one glossed over one yeah That's and so i think important. it's not used effectively yeah and the, the, going back to triathletes every single triathlete i ever say how was your race every triathlete says oh it wasn't great this went wrong that went wrong and this went wrong and i'm like oh great what went well well but i have to ask them and so when i'm reviewing i want people to tell me what are things that went well What's mm -hmm. something that you're really proud of? What do you want to have happen again? Um, what's something that you would change? And was there kind of an utter failure? Um, and, you know, how do we then learn from all of those? So the things that went well, how do we replicate? Mm -hmm. Things that didn't go well, is there something we need to change? Is there something we need to tweak? Is it, you know, what happens there? Because it's in the review that we learn for the next race. And it's in that review that we build the confidence for the next race. So when we have that next race, pre-race jitters, 
we can say I've been through this before. I got this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And very helpful to write down these points in your review. So that way, next time when you're, you know, planning and preparing, mm-hmm. you can go back and look at them and know, uh, know what needs tweaking. Yeah, exactly. And again, you're going to know yourself. Like I tend to run very cold. So on some races that maybe another athlete can get away with a light jacket, I actually will wear a thermal jacket. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that because if I don't, my hands get numb and I can't squeeze the brakes and I'm miserable. And there is no getting me out of that misery at that point until the race is over. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. And I think kind of that set of points leads to what I wanted to talk about as like, we always use race day jitters as this like quintessential, like this is like the mental performance thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, I think like, obviously, yes, race day jitters exist. I clearly have them as my gut is currently like knotted up from talking about them. Um, but like, what are some of the other issues that athletes are actually dealing with that, I mean, I think could even be like the precursors to the pre-race jitters. Right. So I think some of them are things that it's not just athletes that a lot of people experience. I think some of it's the negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of athletes and people in general, this suit as soon as something doesn't go their way, it throws them off. So it's not the pre-race jitters, it's the during race or during training. This is where training is so important because you want training, you want things to go wrong in training. Um, Because as soon as something goes wrong, some people will start to blame themselves. Um, So like I, I did a race in Colorado two weeks ago and three weeks ago, whenever. And I was a, I did not finish the race because I got a horrendous, a cramp in my quad and the me of like five or six years ago would have been like oh can't believe I'm so stupid I should have done this this and this and this is going to be horrible and just going down this negative spiral mm-hmm. and I see a lot of athletes do that yeah whereas the me of today when that quad cramp happened it was this sucks because it did yeah, yeah. Um, but then it was okay what do I have to do to deal with this mm-hmm. and being kind of uh, putting my blinders on and figure out what do I need to do right now? And what are my decisions that I can make mm-hmm. instead of getting all judgmental about myself? So yeah. it stops that negative spiral. Cause as soon as that negative spiral happens, it is a hard, hard roller coaster to get off of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one of the big things I see. The other thing I see is people being pretty harsh on themselves for what their bodies either, or what typically what their bodies can't do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm training so hard, but I'm not getting faster mm-hmm. training so hard. I'm watching what I eat, but I'm not losing weight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's always funny. I think people tend to fixate on the metric that isn't changing, even when so much good stuff is happening, right? It's the number mm-hmm. on the scale isn't budging, but my power numbers are actually like way up or mm-hmm. even stuff like might even be fitting differently, but the number on the scale hasn't changed. So therefore, right. We're still bad. Yeah. Bad, bad people. Yeah. So we, we get fixated on these things. And, and to be honest, sometimes, especially in our peri and postmenopausal women, our bodies are changing. Mm-hmm. Our power numbers might not be improving and our weight might be going up and our clothes might be getting a bit more snug. So uh, I see a lot of, especially female athletes in this age group or my age group yeah. dealing with that. And so we will do some work around essentially it's acceptance 
it's radical acceptance of who you are, where you are. Um, and the where you are is so big because so many of us compare ourselves to the athletes we were 10 years ago, mm-hmm. almost regardless of age. Like, you know, I look back at my recovery in my mid twenties and I'm like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Like, mm-hmm. It must be something that I'm doing wrong. Not just that I'm in my mid to late thirties now. <laughs> Right. And so it's like our bodies do change. Yeah. And so with some of my athletes, it's about how do we find the celebrations that we do have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's some of the work I do as well. For sure. And the celebrations are going to look very different than they used to be. Because like you say, yeah, it might not be that any of the numbers are improving no matter what you're doing, but like figuring mm-hmm. out what what is the new things we can celebrate and like. Right. So it's like, I'm loving my friends when I'm out there on the bike. I'm mm-hmm. seeing parts of the country that I never would have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm making friends with the people at the aid stations. And you know, it's like, how do we find other little wins throughout mm-hmm. the day? Yeah. Well, and I mean, still knowing that you're still doing like one of the best things you can be doing for your body. It's like the, mm-hmm. the alternative of like not training or racing anymore is not going to be any better. It's going to be much, much worse. Right. And so with that, I'm also working with people to find other things to do. Cause if mm-hmm. someone is like, um, uh, I just want to ride my bike. Well, that's great. Let's continue riding your bike. But what is it that you get out of riding your bike? You mm-hmm. know? And then how do we find that in other things for when riding our bike is not possible? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we, I don't know, twist an ankle. Maybe we tweak our back. Maybe we do something. And where I see a lot of athletes are bike riding or swimming or lifting weights or running is my stress release. What do I do if I don't have that? Yep. Yep. And so even while you still have that, I am actively looking for other ways to have that stress release. Yes, absolutely. Um, and before we touch on that, okay. Um, we did, I do want to just go back to your race and the, the DNFs that did not finish. And like, I will tell you when I first started in Ironman, I had a death before DNF sticker on like bumper sticker on my truck. Like mm-hmm. I actually, my first blog was death before DNF.blogspot.com. I think it might still wow. be around. So that's the level, like that was the time and like the vibe that was happening when I first got into triathlon. Do you think, I actually think this, this is maybe this tide has turned and we're now like a little more okay with the NF, the DNF, but let's also like, I'd love you to talk about the, the DNF and moving, moving through that moment. Yeah. I also, I didn't have a bumper sticker, but my mantra and my mindset was I will do anything I have to do to finish this race. I don't care if I have to crawl 26 miles. I'm finishing this damn race. I blame, uh, I blame Julie Moss for this. The, uh, <laughs> the woman who did the Ironman back yep. in the eighties and literally yep. crawled across the finish line. Yep. I mean, love she only her. crawled like the last like hundred meters yeah. or so. Absolute idol of mine to be clear, but, uh, right. that's, that's, I think the triathlon or triathlete and like endurance athlete ethos that we've kind mm-hmm. of been fed for so long. So learning to DNF was like a big thing for me like that. Yeah. Hard it, lesson. <laughs> it was a huge and hard lesson for me as well. Like part of it is just the, the people we surround ourselves with. And I happen to love my triathlon team. I'm not putting them down at all, but there was this sometimes spoken, sometimes unspoken ethos of you go until you can't go and Mm -hmm. you go as hard as you can. 
And unfortunately, that ethos led me to me getting really sick and really overtrained and doing a race that I did not finish. It was my first DNF was Ironman Mont Tremblant. And what I learned there was that, no, a, a DNF is not the end of the world. <laughs> end of the world really is my health. You know, I need to to put that paramount. Mm -hmm. Um so that's when I had to shift from this perspective of I am an Ironman finisher. I, I am a gravel cyclist who finishes everything to I'm a gravel cyclist who goes out there and pushes herself as hard as she can. And thankfully, quite honestly, thankfully, most of the time that means I finish. But there are times where it might be a do not start. Yep. I, I was registered for to do the swim leg of Ironman New York a few weeks ago, and it was just... It was too much. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an easy decision, but I decided it. Um, and, you know, then this year I DNF two gravel bike races, but both because of physical reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if triathlon has changed or if I have changed and yeah. the people yeah. I'm <laughs> surrounded by change. Yeah. You know, so I, I can't speak to the overall culture of it, but. Mm -hmm. What is your thought on the, like, I mean, it's very easy when it's a very obvious physical, you know, like my ankle has ballooned up because it's twisted and I can't put weight on it. Like, that's a very obvious one, but where, do, like, what do you do or how do you, how do you help someone think through the like mid race? It's not feeling right. And you're pretty sure you should, you should exit, but there's part of you that's like, oh, keep going. You whiny, like, <laughs> right. How do you have that dialogue in a productive way? Right. So the way I have that dialogue, and I kind of recommend people have it with themselves, is um, to recognize first what's happening. You know, first recognize what you're feeling physically, recognize what the thoughts are. Um, you know, so it's recognizing. So uh, the, the race I did in July that I was a DNF, I'll just, that, that was Dirty Kitten, which was an awesome gravel bike, gravel bike race. I highly recommend Dirty Kitten to anybody. Um, but it was 100 degrees out that day. And it was, or maybe 97, but whatever. Um, it was hot. And when I was doing the race, the first, it's, a, you, you, it's a 20 mile loop. So the first 20 miles, I was like, oh, I'm feeling great. This is wonderful. I pull in. My wife gives me my bottles of drinks. I'm like, this is great, honey. She gets ice in my jersey. I'm like, I'll see you in like an hour and change. I go off. Um, and about 15 minutes into that second loop, all of a sudden I got a splitting headache. And it was sudden. It was like, it wasn't a gradual build. It was headache. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. You know, so I recognized what I felt. I'm like, okay. So then I tried to understand. It's hot. I'm not feeling great. You know, I'm pushing myself. So reach down, drink. I'm like, I probably need some drinks. So that's the understanding. Um, and then I'm like, drink, drink, drink. Both the aid stations put ice down my jersey, and the headache didn't get any better. And then about the last mile, coming into the end of the second loop, I got dizzy. And I'm like, oh, this is not a good sign. So again, it's Bad understanding. Sign. It's recognizing that it's gone from a headache to dizzy. And so I pulled in into the second loop. So I'm, I'm doing the three loop course. I pull in for the end of the second loop and I tell my wife, I'm like, I got a headache and I'm dizzy. I said, so do you have Advil? Because 
because I what I decided at that point was I was not making a decision of stopping or going until I gave myself time. Mm -hmm. I think part of choosing to DNF is giving yourself some time to actually make a decision. Mm -hmm. So it's recognizing what you're feeling, understanding where that's coming from, kind of naming the emotions. So I was kind of sad. I was angry. I was frustrated. Um, I also explore, I talked to everybody around us. I didn't know anybody. I knew my <laughs> wife and I knew all these, and these, all these strangers. I'm like, should I quit? Um, hands. Uh, let's go around yeah, and put our, um, <laughs> but I gave myself 10 minutes. I'm like, if I don't get less dizzy, I'm going to stop. If the dizziness goes away, I can deal with a headache. If the dizziness goes away, I'm going to keep going, but the dizziness didn't stop. So that's when I made this decision to, to DNF. Yeah. Um, it is back to that. Nothing is worth your health. Right. And Probably that's kind of guiding I, light here. Right. And that's what I, you know, talk to people about, but part of it's also going to be dependent on what race you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I was watching the post race interviews with Lucy Charles Barkley, uh, who spoiler alert won the world championships last weekend, the entire time on the marathon, her calf was killing her. Now, had this been any other race, she might've stopped. She might've said, well, I need to save this for the world championships. I don't want to hurt myself. Mm -hmm. But because this is the world championship, she's like, no, I'm going to keep going until I can't go. And she won. Yeah. So I think part of it does depend on what race you're doing. What mm -hmm. is the purpose behind that race? Um, so there's not one simple thing for choosing to do to DNF, but it's looking at this whole thing, recognizing, understanding, and then exploring and then making a decision. Mm -hmm. It's funny. As you said that about the pros, I think what's really funny to me about pros versus amateurs is actually, if you look in the context of pro careers, they DNF so much more often than amateurs because they like, like obviously for them, it's, it's a career. They recognize like living to fight another day is so important Whereas I think amateurs like we have this every race has to be the thing mm -hmm. um, so this is one case where we might want to take the more pro mindset of like, sometimes it's worth living to fight another day yeah sometimes it is worth living to fight another day sometimes you do have to push through mm -hmm. the pain and the discomfort and, and it's up to you to know your body as to mm -hmm. what it can handle because also in the Ironman World Championships Kat Matthews DNF'd and so I certainly don't know the whole story, but from what she wrote on her Instagram is it certainly sounded like medically she was not doing too great, too great. Yeah. It sounded like her vision was starting to get narrow. It sounded like she was uh, her like brain fog, not able to make decisions. That's just dangerous. Yeah. You know, so although it's disappointing and I, I think she said she's sad and outraged at herself, um, you know, it, it's not an easy decision, but sometimes it's the right decision. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. So this is actually an important, like an interesting one, because I think, so someone DNFs and like, I've had this where then like in the days after I start, like, you know, you kind of stop remembering how bad it was and mm -hmm. you start being like, you were an idiot. Why didn't you keep going? Mm -hmm. um, how do you talk yourself back around from that point once you've like done that? So if, if you've gone on to the, you're an idiot part, <laughs> we're in the, you're an idiot phase. Yeah. Okay. I would, if I was working with this person, I'd be like, okay, so let's go back to talk about what happened in those moments. So right now you're talking about two weeks later, you have, you know, hindsight is 2020, but what was happening on that course? Mm -hmm. What were you seeing? What were you experiencing? Because 
my hope is to get them to stop thinking they're an idiot. Maybe we can reframe it of you're not an idiot. You're just sad and disappointed because mm-hmm. we can be sad and disappointed without berating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I hope we can. Yeah. And I think it can all turn into that review of like, okay, so now I know, you know, next time I can do X, Y, Z to prevent this. And also when this happens, here's how I'm going to approach it differently. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the learning part. And that's the review part. And there are things, I mean, the, quite honestly, the reason my quad cramped in Colorado was a multitude of things, but largely because I didn't train. I went for gentle bike rides. I'm like, of course I can ride 70 miles at 120 feet above sea level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Riding 70 miles at 7,000 feet while climbing another, I think, 4,000 feet of elevation gain. Easy. Easy peasy. No problem. You no, know, I, pr- I see no issues there. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't respect the course. And it's not like I didn't train intentionally. It was, I have a lot on my plate. But yeah, I'm kind of like kicking myself for you know, thinking I could have done it, but I'm like, well, lesson learned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, before we hit record, I, I love the phrase, like you get the race you trained for. I think mm-hmm. that's like, I don't think that's like a self, like you're not berating yourself. That's just being like honest. Cause mm-hmm. I think y- you can still be like honest and have these clear critiques of what you did and what you need to do next time without mm-hmm. turning it into negative self-talk. I think we just get in like, it, it's one or the other. We have to be like all rainbows and sunshine or boom, you're in negative town and that's bad. But right. no, we got to be able to learn. Yeah. I like to look more in the middle of, you know, even the rainbows and sunshine, we can't have a rainbow if you don't have rain, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, we have to take, even on the best day ever, you have a, a day that you nailed everything. Okay. What's one thing you want to learn from it? Yeah. You know what? It, it, not necessarily saying what happened that went wrong, but is there any area that you think could have gone even 1% better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which is often like, that's a really good one because I think that's, if you're someone who tends toward negative thinking, that's a good one. Like what's your good performance and what's like the one thing you could add to that? Cause that way yeah. you're, you're already in a good place. <laughs> yeah. So again, uh, just 1% better. I'm not talking about, you know, rewriting history here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so on the note of the the negative town, et cetera. So this is, I know, something that you've talked about before. I love this conversation. So many of us have heard that exercise is, you know, the quote unquote here, cure for stress, anxiety, depression, everything. Um, can we can we just unpack like when someone says running or cycling is my therapy and uh, why that's maybe not the the best way to way to view it? Perhaps? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're talking about my blog, uh, my pet peeve, um, in which people say cycling is my therapy, running is my therapy, scuba diving is my therapy, knitting, crocheting, whatever is my therapy. I understand the point. What people, I believe, mean by that is when they do this activity, it helps relieve some stress from their day. It might give them some space from a loved one who's pissing them off right now. It might give them a distraction from the work stress that's happening and and also gives them space to work through things. So it is greatly beneficial, but it is not therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therapy is more insight oriented. And to be honest, as a therapist, I can 100% tell you not every therapy session feels good. 
Sometimes clients leave here feeling worse than they came in because we've opened up a wound and we started cleaning it out. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that yes, 100% yes, exercise is beneficial for our mental health. Study after study after study shows that exercise is good for your mental health. However, all of those studies were on people that were non-exercisers. Right. And so they went from minimal intentional activity to a very mild or moderate amount, like 30 minutes a day yeah. of walking. I think 30 minutes a day of walking is wonderful. I'm not putting that down. But these studies that show that exercise is beneficial for our mental health are accurate. If we're looking at somebody that's gone from little or no exercise to some. Yeah. For those of us that do exercise on a regular basis, you know, it it can actually be detrimental for our mental health. And yes. there's not a line in the sand. I can't say do this one thing and that's going to lead to anxiety. That's going to lead to depression. That's, But it is looking at what is the bigger picture of it all. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. So some of the 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 stress or anxiety that comes from exercise is, oh my God, I have to get this workout in. Um, if they use training peaks, I have to turn this green. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They also wrap their identity up in it. What does it mean if I can't swim, if I can't bike, if I can't run? Um, anxiety disorders and depressive disorders are, um, I forget the exact numbers, but they are much larger in the endurance athlete population than the non-endurance athlete population. Yeah. And then eating disorders. Oh my God. Uh, especially female athletes, but this, it's not only female identifying athletes. It's also male athletes can have eating disorders. Cause all of a sudden we're like, if I can lose one pound, I can go up that hill faster. Yep. And then they lose that one pound and guess what? They go faster. And then they're like, I can lose two pounds. And, and then at some point it starts to diminish. And then they're like, ah, oh, I need to lose more weight. Yeah. And the eating disorders kind of pour out of control. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so this is obviously, I mean, we are both very extreme endurance athletes. We clearly love this and like think that there's like so many benefits to endurance sport. Don't get mm -hmm. us wrong. Right. But I do think what you're saying is so like, it's such an important thing to kind of keep in mind. And that like, A, like this is never going to replace regular therapy and B, like we do have to be like very on top of like being aware of what, like what state our mental health is in. Mm-hmm. And like knowing when we're tipping into that like obsessive point or point where the exercise and training is more of a stress than it is a, mm -hmm. a relaxant. And yeah, just something that we really need to be very careful about, we'll say. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and I think this comes back to that point that you made about like having another activity that you can go to because you're right. Like if if this is your normal like stress release and like kind of what you're doing for fun and it's the thing that brings you joy if you are injured or you are in your off season and actually need that break mm -hmm. if you don't have that and you don't have something else in place it's a lot harder <laughs> yes yeah and those other activities can be simple i love going for walks mm -hmm. like I, I wasn't making fun of people go i i go oh, no. i went for a walk just before our call today but when i go for the walks it's, I, I don't bring headphones. I don't listen to music and I intentionally listen for birds. I intentionally look at the color of the leaves, you know, cause it takes you from inside to outside. 
mm-hmm. and it gives us something else. So therefore, when we are injured, because I don't know the statistics, but I'm going to take a guess that every endurance athlete, if you do this long enough, will be injured at some point. Yeah. Hopefully nothing catastrophic. Hopefully just something like a few days off your feet and you'll be good to go. But we will get yeah. injured at some point. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in that, actually, in the case of injury here, real quick before we wrap up, like thoughts on hanging on to that athlete identity, especially when you are, whether it's an off season or just a super busy season at work or an injury or something, how do you, how do you hang on to feeling like an athlete or even feel like an athlete in the first place? If you're someone, we, we both know so many women in particular who do, you know, they've done Ironmans, they've done unbound, they've done like these massive things. And you say, you know, you'll say something and they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really a cyclist. I'm not, a, I'm not an athlete. Right. So there's so many layers to that question. I know, I know. I just asked um, you a question that could be like an entire, not just podcast episode, but a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, I'm thinking again, just myself, like I said, I, in 2016 is when I stopped doing Ironman and I stopped doing it after a DNF. And, and so until then, my identity was, I, I am Pat Spencer. I am an Ironman. Mm-hmm. I'm a social worker. I'm an Iron Man. I am a wife. I'm a cat. I'm all these things, but I am an Iron Man. The guy said it when I came across the finish line. Yeah, yeah. Mike Riley said he announced it. Mike Riley said I'm an Iron Man. By God, I'm an Iron Man. Yeah, tattoo on my ankle that confirms it. Um, <laughs> so, I think part of us is looking at what actually is our identity. You know, I do think being an athlete is part of it, and quite honestly, I no longer am an Iron Man. And there is some grief that has to go with that and processing through it. But looking at what are the other aspects of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So like when I lost being able to be an Ironman, I took up photography. So I redefined myself. I'm Pat Spencer, the photographer. Not a great it. one. Nobody wants to buy my pictures, but I love going out there and taking the pictures. Um, so I think when someone's like, you know, crushing like Unbound or doing Ironman or doing 10K swims, and then they stop for whatever reason. It's looking at, yes, that is part of your life. Possibly, if you're injured, possibly it's gonna come back so that still is part of your life because you're still working on that recovery. Or have we turned the page? And that that part of your life is, it's not over, it's not gone. It's not gonna, you know, not gonna delete your memory. Um, but it is like, who else are you? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we have that be just as important as this? Mm-hmm. And what I also see that happens, especially with injured athletes and especially people that leave the, 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 the that sport, is they also lose their community. Right. Um, it's like when I stopped training for Ironman, my social life before that was training. Mm-hmm. I would go on Wednesday nights. We had um, the run, bike, run workouts where we'd all be together. Tuesday nights were were uh, interval bikes. Thursday nights were hill repeats. And all of us started and all of us ended at the same time. We might be different speeds, but that was my social life. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was the hardest. So I'm also looking at people. I'm always talking about what else is going on in your life. <laughs> What yeah. else is there? Who else do you have? And even if even if your friends are only your athlete friends, what else are you doing with them? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to are you going out for dinner every once in a while? Do you guys go play miniature golf? Do you, you know, I don't know, ha- have cookouts? 
Mm-hmm. Like what else other than sports are you doing together so you can keep that community? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like making sure it does like you're not kind of having all this happen at the expense of like other friends that aren't into sport. Like those mm-hmm. people are so helpful to have. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like even just as as other people because I so I find for me like the comparison around my like running friends is so real that for me it's so important to have friends that aren't really super in sport mm-hmm. where I can just hang out with them and not talk about running and not talk about sport and that's just like such an important part of my life yes <laughs> yeah. um, and I think all of that to say like I think we when we grow up we hear that we have to be one thing right like you have one identity mm-hmm. so for a lot of people athlete is their their primary identity like sure they might you know work in an office or like have you know, have family, have all this other stuff, but like athlete is sort of who they like self-identify as. Mm-hmm. But I think like understanding that we all have these like multitudes and that it's okay to have the multitudes mm-hmm. is, is so important. Yes, it's very important. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I feel like I've just been through a therapy session here. Um, <laughs> so before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you, you know, newsletter, everything you've got going yep. on. Great. Let us so um, Instagram is, I, I post there at least once a week. It's uh, getting your mind in gear. And it's all, it's getting underscore your underscore mind underscore, you know. Uh, so I'm on Insta, but my website is gettingyourmindinggear.com. And through my website, you can sign up for my newsletter, which right now goes out once a month. Um, but also on that website, you can see the blogs that we've talked about. I, I talk about 3P2R. I talk about my pet peeve. I talk about DNFs. Um, in those blogs, uh, if you get the newsletter, like I said, once a month, it'll take you to there. Um, and I also have, it's, it, it is a website, but it takes you to a newsletter where you get something for free. You get, um, I call it what's your recipe. So the website's whatsyourrecipe.org and it takes you in, what will happen is in your inbox, you will get a PDF. It's like 17 pages, um, of, looking at how to build your personal recipe for success in sports, um, using body, mind, and community. So using, you know, sleep, nutrition, movement, um, mental skills. Um, but yeah, so getting your mind in gear is the best way to find me. So getting your mind in gear.com. Perfect. We'll include links to all of that in the show notes. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This is such an important topic and I'm so glad I have you as a resource for it. Yay. I'm so glad you invited me. This has been great fun. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 